Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. TPR's Prophetic History, Session 7. This is uh, entitled, Getting Connected to a Global Movement. And uh, what we're going to do tonight, if we're going to talk about a global prayer movement and how we're connected to it, I think it's valuable to at least start with, you know, a couple Bible verses, a couple ideas, though we're not going to fully develop this. If this is an idea that you're like, I don't know if I believe that, I'm going to encourage you to go check out some other resources. That's not really what we're going to do tonight. I'm just going to kind of remind us of some things that the Word says. First of all, now, but if this is an idea that you've not thought much about, we've got a, a great, one of the most fun studies and fun teachings I've ever done. It was on the Tabernacle of David that King David that we know him best as being a king, as being a man after God's heart. What, what actually Israel knew King David for the most was actually David was a little weird. He's a little bonkers. And he set up a 24-7 prayer and worship ministry in his backyard on the Temple Mount. And they established singers and musicians around the Ark of the Covenant 24-7. And it went on for two generations without breaking. It went on for a very, very long time, decades and decades. We have the only eight seasons in Israel's history, Israel's history, the only eight seasons of time where they experienced prosperity across the board and blessing, and they were also experiencing revival eight times in, in, in Israel's history. It happened eight times. All eight were connected to the reestablishing of David 24-7 prayer and worship ministry. So you've got the, the historical impact of when Israel was doing good, at their core was night and day prayer and worship. Interesting. You then also have the book of Acts take it on in the New Testament. Not talking Old Testament times, talking New Testament times. The book of Acts was then operating in a night and day prayer reality. And we see the blessing that was resting on the church in that, in that environment. We also have, uh, in, from the time of the cross moving forward, we've got 2,000 years of monasteries. 2,000 years of the monastic movement, of ministries across the earth that were going night and day, that were built as a prayer culture primarily, and then discipleship and acts of, of uh, you know, kindness and righteousness, all those flowed out of it, but it started with the foundation of night and day prayer. And then, of course, now in this hour, we've got countless expressions of night and day prayer ministries. We call them houses of prayer or praying churches, praying communities. I just want us to kind of get a little bit of a picture of what we're going to be talking about tonight. Jesus is the one that said in Matthew 21, 13, these are the words of Jesus. We know them, but I, I want us to think about what Jesus is communicating here. He said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you're making it a den of robbers. Because it will be called, Jesus is prophesying. He's saying, right now, I'm identifying the house, the house of God, and you've made it something that it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be a house of prayer like David made it. It's supposed to be a house of prayer like Solomon dedicated the temple to be a night and day prayer and worship environment. That's what it's supposed to be, and you've made it something else. And I really don't think it would have mattered what else it had been made. It had been made something it wasn't supposed to be. It had been made something that it wasn't a house of prayer. But Jesus didn't just say it should be. He said it will be. He promised. He prophesied. He's quoting Isaiah, and he's prophesying yet again, the reality of the people of God will be a praying community of people. It will be a house defined by prayer. Not even a house defined by love only, or discipleship only, or of meetings only, or of times together only. A house defined by prayer primarily, and everything else will be an expression and an overflow out of that. James, this is Jesus' brother. I love that it was Jesus' brother that said it. In the book of Acts, Jesus' brother James digs up an Old Testament prophecy about the end of the age. And Jesus' brother, James, I'm, I'm picking on James here because he must have heard his brother talk about, my house will be called a prayer. He must have heard Jesus, the Messiah, talk about what was important. And here James is getting the revelation in the book of Acts, chapter 15, and he digs up a prophecy out of Amos 9-11. And the brother of Jesus says, after this, he's quoting uh, Amos. He says, after this, 
I will return and I will rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild the tabernacle of David. This is James prophesying in New Testament times. There is going to be a resurgence of the tabernacle of David. And God does it. Says it's ruins I will rebuild. And I will restore it. That the remnant of men that seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles. Who bear my name says the Lord. I'm going to restore it on the planet in such a way. That no matter where there's a that loves Jesus. That Gentile will be able to participate in the David's tabernacle worship environment. Now that means that there's got to be more than one expression. Because we can't all fit in one tent in Jerusalem. So here's James recognizing that at the end of the age, the tabernacle of David will be restored across the planet, and it will take a significant um, uh, aspect of the expression of Christianity in the final days. These are big deals. These are big ideas. Well, there's plenty of verses. I'm not going to get into them. Let's just say it this way. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that this house of prayer thing It will see. Prayer concept. In order to reestablish the tabernacle of David across the planet thing, okay? Because that's about as big picture as it can get. The International House of Prayer in Kansas City. Founder. And current director, Mike Bickle, he starts getting these prophetic words back in the 80s about starting a prayer ministry that was going to be elaborate in, in how many hours it's, it was going to go and, and the purpose of what was going to happen in that room when the saints gathered together that, that spiritual warfare was going to occur just by people singing. It was going to change the spiritual atmosphere of cities. It was going to change things everywhere. There was going to be a significant shift that was going to come through a prayer ministry that they were going to start. So they began. Well, I'm going to give you just a little bit on this. I believe that, you know, anytime there's going to be a movement start, that movement has to begin with somebody. And the Lord is going to use whoever he wants to use, whoever he thinks is a good fit for it. The Lord is going to start a minister or, or a concept when he's going to begin a movement, it has to begin with a person somewhere or a group of people somewhere or a living room somewhere. It's got to start somewhere. The Lord has made IHOP Kansas City the spear, the point of the spear of the prayer movement in the earth in this generation. They are not the only ministry. They are not the only influential ministry. But I would go as far as to say they are the most influential ministry in the earth in this hour related to the concept of propagating night and day prayer. In fact, as I was just kind of thinking through their influence, I think it would probably be safe to say that from any one team or any one man or any one ministry in a single generation, they have had the single most influence related to starting or encouraging houses of prayer to begin in the history of humanity. That's a very interesting reality to find that to be the case. So here we have... IHOP Kansas City starting May 7th, 1999 by the word of the Lord. They went 13 hours a day and rented out a, a little double wide trailer. And they had about 200 seats in there and they've got all sorts of funny stories about how interesting that room was. But they began a prayer ministry that would develop over the course of the next four months into a 24 hour a day seven day a week, has never stopped for one second since that time, prayer ministry with full worship teams or the occasional, uh, you know, just a worship leader up there doing a Devo set, but live worship 24-7. It is a very unique idea. It's a very interesting idea. And in fact, if it weren't God's idea, I would say it's excessive. If it weren't from the Holy Spirit, if the objective wasn't the glorification of Jesus 24-7, I would say doing anything 24-7 would be excessive, except that it's all about the worth of Christ, and there is no such thing as excessive use of any energy to exalt the name of Jesus night and day. And so we've got this ministry that in 1999 was the most odd anomaly ever. 
they began in 1999 with 24-7 prayer and worship. And it, people would see it and scratch their heads. And I can remember seeing it and going, this is a very interesting thing that I'm looking at here. Well, it's now grown after, you know, however many years. What was that, 99? So 21 years, 20, 21 years. They've now been going, that time they've not stopped. They've had staff and interns and worship leaders and singers and full-time people. They've got about 2,000 people in their midst in this season that are in a full-time capacity of some sort or another. It's a little bit weird numbers because of COVID right now, but call it 2,000. They've had over 20,000 that have had full-time buy-in for a season. 20,000 people in the last couple of decades that have served full-time for a week let alone a semester, a year, five years, 20,000 people were convinced to do this as their full-time gig for a season of time or for years. That is absurd. That is crazy. 20,000 people gave themselves full-time. I don't mean showed up here and there. Those numbers are countless. That's gotta be millions through all the reach that they've, I mean, that's unbelievable. I'm talking about did it full-time. 20,000 people did it full-time for a season. At least a semester, if not a year or two or five. Crazy. That's crazy. Well, why? What is, what's going on there? What's the Lord doing with this? The Lord's objective wasn't about IHOP Kansas City. The Lord's objective was to launch a global prayer movement. The Lord's objective was to reestablish the fallen tabernacle of David in the last generation, and he wanted to use IHOP as one of many ministries that would do that, but certainly as like the point of the spear. So IHOP Kansas City hasn't just been doing 24-7 prayer, they've been training people, and those people have been going out into the nations. There are people in a couple dozen nations that have come from IHOP Kansas City and have gone and started night and day, or at least that's the objective, that's the aim. People in a couple dozen countries that have started houses of prayer, and they did it because they went to IHOP Kansas City, saw it, immersed themselves in it, got some training, and then went out and said, I'm going to start one too. That's crazy. That's craziness. Dozens of nations have houses of prayer because people went to Kansas City, got trained, and then went out and did it. That's crazy. That's wild influence too. Oh, but more than just that training. Because of their web stream and because people have been visiting for 20 years, they have touched millions of people in the nations, probably every nation. If not, you're missing one or two. They've touched the planet with the concept of 24-7 prayer and worship, the most bizarre idea I've ever heard. So now you've got a planet that 20 years ago had never thought of the idea. You've now got a planet that not only has thought of it, they've seen it on television. They've seen it on their phone. They've seen it on their iWatches. They've seen the night and day prayer reality. Not just heard of it, they've seen it. And they've been influenced. Countless more ministries have begun or were strengthened by the influence that they saw via the web stream of what's going on in that room in Kansas City. So I want to make it really clear. When we're talking about IHOP Kansas City, we are not talking about a ministry in Kansas City. That is, that's the, I mean, just the most crux of the reality. What we're talking about is the point of the spear for a global movement that was in God's heart. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about IHOP Kansas City. So yes, there is a physical geographic location, but they would not have been able to accomplish a billionth of their purpose if it didn't grow and expand from there. Because God's plan for IHOP Kansas City wasn't just a house of prayer. It was a house of prayer that would touch all nations. It was a house of prayer that would influence a movement. And it has. It's influenced a movement. It's so bizarre to me. I mean, I just think about how the Lord did it. It's crazy. Well, let's talk about the prayer room missions base here. And how we got connected in all this because it's important. It's part of our story. It's part of who we are. We've been grafted into a family that I didn't even know existed when I got saved. We have become part of a family that 
I don't know that maybe you necessarily even know you're part of around here. That's part of the reason I want to tell this is we're a part of a broader family. In 2000, the Lord began connecting me to the International House of Prayer in Kansas City before I had any revelation that there was a prayer movement. There is a global movement arising. Now, when we started our prayer meetings, when the Lord said, start a daily prayer meeting tomorrow morning at 5 a.m., don't stop till I come back, I had no thought that this was connected to IHOP Kansas City or a prayer movement. I just thought, we're going to do prayer meetings every morning because that's what God said to do. If God says, let's just do it. And prayer's good anyway. So I had no idea that this was an IHOP thing or this was, that wasn't in my mind at all. I was thinking we're going to do prayer meetings because the Lord said do prayer meetings. We had no idea that there was even a prayer movement that was burgeoning at the surface at that time that would grow into something because in that hour, it was so small and unidentifiable, you wouldn't have even really, it would have been a little bit presumptuous to call it a movement at that time. It was just getting started in 2005 as far as movement. Well, right after I got filled with the Holy Spirit, I told you guys I was at a conference I got filled with the Spirit. I became aware of prophecy. Uh, I you know, had a bunch of crazy things happen to me that night. Well, right after that, the prophet who had prophesied over me that night that I told you had me memorize Psalm 91 a little bit later and all that stuff, well, she was responsible for one more key component of all this mess, and that was a little bit after that conference. It was maybe just, a, I don't know, a few, maybe a month later, she said, Brad, there's a spiritual warfare conference in Kansas City, and I know you're totally broke. I want to pay for your ticket, pay for your hotel, and give you a little bit of food spending money. I think it's important that you go to this conference. Why don't you go? You can drive up and, uh, and meet me there. And there's a bunch of us that are going, but, you know, we're, we're going to fly. You're poor. You drive. Okay. Cool. I will. So I wind up driving up to Kansas City to this spiritual warfare conference, whatever that means. I didn't realize it was IHOP Kansas City's first Harp and Bowl conference. And it's them teaching the Harp and Bowl model. It's them teaching the principles of night-day prayer. I don't know that. I mean, technically, that is spiritual warfare. But that's not really what was happening there in the sense of what I think of when I think of spiritual warfare. Now, it totally is. It really is. But but anyway, I got tricked into going to IHOP's first Harp and Bowl conference. And here I am sitting in the room, and I'm, I'm hearing Mike Bickle, who I, you know, I don't know who this guy is, really. He was at the conference when I got filled with the Spirit. He was, that, he was there. But I don't really know who this guy is. And he's saying, beloved, they're going to start these houses of prayer all over the earth. You just wait and see night and day prayer and worship ministries everywhere in the earth, every nation. And I'm just shaking my head going, man, there is no way that's going to happen. I don't know who you would ever convince to start one of these things. It's cool, but it seems like a lot of work to me. That was 2000. That's five years before I get to start a daily prayer meeting tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. and don't stop until I come back call. This is 2000. Here I am at a foundational moment in IHOP's history, not even knowing it. And here I am there getting DNA sewn into me that I don't really interpret or know what to do with. Well, that began visits to Kansas City. Now, what I was viewing IHOP Kansas City as in that hour, because I was in a church context that didn't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, that did, there was just a lot that it was good for me to be able to get away and go to a rowdy conference every now and then, okay? So I would go away to IHOP Kansas City conferences, you know, once or twice a year if I could sneak off and figure out a way to get there. Well, it didn't take long before now we've started the prayer meetings. It's 2005. I'm, I'm skipping forward a little bit. We're doing our prayer uh, ministry, and now... I'm going, oh, well, I guess now, since I've got some like-minded people, I could take some people with me to IHOP Kansas City. So let's put up that picture of the first group trip. We've got it. This is the first group trip that we took. You can see Andy there, and I uh, got Luke Cooper, and my wife, Amy, and uh, Davy Flowers back there. She, she went on the trip with us on that first trip. This was our first trip that we took to IHOP. That's right there in the kind of the foyer area uh, of, the, uh, uh, of the FCEF or whatever they call it now. Um, and so, uh, you know, the main Sunday morning uh, area. And so, um, anyway, so I just wanted you guys to see that picture. That was our first group trip that we took to Kansas City back in 2000. And I'm thinking it was 2006, probably. Maybe it was it's probably 2006. And we started taking trips up there. But what that wound up doing was it started to connect this community to that community. 
not just the ideas, not just some of the worship style, but we started to get a, a measure of interconnectivity where it would, from that point forward, it wasn't a weird thing for people in our community to take other trips up to Kansas City because we started to realize that's our tribe. Those are our people. Like we're part of the same family, like somehow or the other. This is like, we've like found the group that like we're going to run with. This is fun. Well, I want to go back to previous session, talked about how we hosted uh, that House of Prayer uh, leadership conference or, or a House of Prayer conference here in the area. I guess it was last session. If you remember, I had a dream that Dwayne Roberts was going to preach at the, at the conference. I reach out to Dwayne. Dwayne comes. Dwayne scratches his head and goes, I don't even really know why I'm here. I never do this. That connects us to Dwayne. Dwayne was one of the senior leaders of IOP Kansas City in that hour. Dwayne goes back and starts bragging on us like crazy and starts introducing the prayer room to IHOP Kansas City's leadership team. That's how we got connected with them at that level for the first time. He also then invited us to do the one thing regional. So that then began not just we know them, they know us, but began a measure, the first touch point of, of partnership where now IHOP Kansas City and the prayer room missions base are working together to accomplish something. It was really cool. international family of affection. The Lord gave Mike Bickle a word uh, back in the 80s, and it was was a really interesting uh, thought process. The Lord told Mike that he was going to raise up an international family that was going to be really affectionate for one another. There's going to be a lot of love and appreciation. Now, I think that's actually John 17 when Jesus says, I pray they would all be one as the Father and I are one. I think actually that word in its fullest extent is the entire body of Christ at the end of the age, loving the entire body of Christ. But in the most specific sense, kind of as a jump start, as a, as a starting point, the Lord was giving Mike a prophetic word in, in a, again, it was sometime in the 80s, about the Lord raising up an international family that was connected and that had deep love for one another. It's really interesting, all the technology that didn't exist at that point that has made it possible now, that it would have been impossible then. I mean, it's really interesting when you start to look at the details of what didn't exist and had not yet been thought of and ways that the internet didn't exist and didn't travel and Zoom. I mean, there was a lot of things you couldn't do. There was a lot of things you just couldn't do. Even international politics and policies and, and travel bans. There's just so much about it that just didn't make sense. Well, that started to happen. And what's so fun is to watch it happening within the prayer movement, I think, as a starting point. I think as a down payment. I don't think it's the fullness. I don't think when the prayer movement is a fully international family of affection that we've reached a fullness. I think at that point, we finally reached kindergarten. And now we can go start training everybody else how this thing looks. I think that's actually just the beginning point. And we're a long ways from the fullness of that. But we started to find our family. In the midst of this night and day prayer and worship thing, we saw 20 years, these last 20 years, so since the year 2000, when I went to that first conference that I got tricked into going to a spiritual warfare conference in Kansas City. For the last 20 years, we've watched God connecting, knitting ministries together under the banner of night and day prayer. I'll give you a real clear for instance. People, even leaders, if they're all in a room and two of them, are leading houses of prayer or praying church expressions, they're going to find each other and they're going to connect and there's going to be a measure where they hit it off even more than all the other guys and gals in the room that all have Jesus in common, that all have leadership in common, that all have everything else in common. There's just something about this night and day prayer thing that just creates a kindred spirit that's pretty sweet. It's really fun. Well, the IHOP family, and when I say IHOP family, I don't mean IHOP Kansas City. I mean The international house of prayer across the earth has been connecting these last 20 years and have become very dear to one another. We have some very dear friends that we did not have, we would have never even thought to have, that we have because of the common mandate of let's worship Jesus 24-7, and we're not there yet. I mean, we're, we're moving that direction, but it's a desire in the heart. I'll just tell you, that is such a crazy desire that to desire it and take big steps towards it makes you one of the rarest birds on the planet. 
And rare birds like to find each other because every weirdo wants to know they're not alone. Okay? All right, well, now I want to talk a little bit about, oh, oh, no, 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 one more. This was a family moment. This was such a funny, tragic family moment. Back in 2013, okay, this is how you know your family. When one of you gets hit with a lawsuit, you all get hit with a lawsuit. That's how part of the way you know your family. 2013, the International House of Pancakes got fed up and said, IHOP Kansas City, you cannot call yourself IHOP. We are IHOP. We've been IHOP a lot longer than you were even thinking about IHOPing. And IHOP Pancakes sued IHOP Prayer in Kansas City. Oh, but it got messy. Because I had friends all over the country who were getting sued in the same lawsuit. Because their name was International House of Prayer, whatever city. International House of Prayer, da 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 It was never a time I ever felt so protected by the Lord that we called ourselves the most vanilla thing possible, a prayer room. <laughs> Instead of calling ourselves IHOP, whatever, Arlington, Dallas, whatever. I am so grateful we skipped out on that because I got all the phone calls, but I didn't have to make any, you know? I mean, they were all coming, oh, Brad, man, so bad, we're getting sued, we're having to change our name. I mean, so many, it was so messy, but... What was fun about it, and we did have a measure of camaraderie, we're all looking at it going, man, the prayer movement just really got knit together in a, in a, in a, like a public lawsuit identifying this thing together. And it, it kind of got on radar. There were a lot of people who had never heard of House of Prayer or the prayer movement before that heard about it because of the lawsuit because it was in all the papers. It was everywhere. It was so wild. I just watched it. I was like, this is so crazy. And I'm so glad to be connected, but on the fringe and not in the crosshairs of this lawsuit. Like, thank you, Jesus. All right. Getting connected to Mike Bickle. Now, I'm sharing a lot of this from a perspective that it's a little little difficult and and it even puts you guys at a bit of a uh, 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 disadvantage if I don't explain this. So much of what I'm talking about in this session, I believed and I was saying in my living room when there were 10 of us. Now, when there's 10 of you and you're in a living room, because that's your building, Brad's living room, okay? When you're in a living room, this looks so small, despised, and insignificant, and where we are now, we've got a building, we've got you know, stuff going on. It's still small, but so much of what I would say tonight, if I say it aloud, you would go, yeah, I can believe for that. That doesn't stretch my faith so much. I want you to try to imagine 25-year-old me, which you think I'm unrefined now, just the poor people who had to be under that leader. 25-year-old Brad was a mess. 25-year-old me and 10 of us in a living room with zero money, zero hope, zero clarity, zero instruments, zero understanding, zero. We had a lot of zero. We were loaded with zero, okay? And here I am with these 10, and I'm going, you know, I just, I feel like we're going to be connected to Mike Bickle in a real significant way. And people are going, Mike Bickle, the international leader, Mike Bickle? Yeah, I just... No, I don't know about that. No, I, no, we really are. How do you know? I don't know. I just do. I just know. I just like, I just, I know we're going to be connected to him. It's going to be, I don't know how we're going to do it. I'm not going to try to make it happen. And so we've got these, these just bizarre feelings, like we're going to be connected to Mike Bickle. Well, I was convinced it would happen. And this is part of the way that the prophetic works, by the way. I just want to give that to you. Something locks in your spirit that it's not something you even want necessarily. Like you could take yourself out of it and be like, I don't care if that happens. I don't need that. Like that's not important to me. When it's really, really, really important to you, I want to say this clear. When it's really, really important to you, you want to be very careful whether you call it prophetic or not because it's really important to you. So you already really want it, okay? I'm like, I don't really care. I I mean, it's cool if it happens. I don't need it, but I'm sure it's going to (laughs) happen. That's part of the way that the prophetic operates. It's not the whole story, but it's part of it. Well, then I started dreaming about being connected to Mike Bickle in Kansas City, the International House of Prayer director. And that's just a, it's a weird thing to wake up from a dream and be like, 
This dream seems to say I'm going to somehow be connected like in a more than a casual way with this like global leader. That how is that even possible? I don't even do I want that? I mean, I guess that's cool. I don't but Lord, what is this? I started having dreams, uh, dreams. I went back and looked. I had over 20 20 dreams about being connected to my so it's only fueling my resolve. This is going to happen and it's going to be just something that the Lord's going to have to do because I was set that I was not going to do anything to try to make that happen. Now, let me tell you the moment that it really happened and one of these dreams because this was just weird, all right? It was uh, myself, Luke Cooper, and Jeremy Jarvis. We were going to make a trip up to IHOP Kansas City because we were going to go up there and connect with some people and blah, blah, blah. And the night before we get in the car to drive up, I have a dream. And I'll read you the dream. I had this dream on... uh, Let's see, May 5th, 2011, okay? I had a short dream that I was at an IHOP environment with people all around, but there was a table in the middle of it all that was somehow shielded from all of the clamor. I was to meet Mike Bickle at this table. My friend and I approached this table, and I was introduced to Mike with a super strong introduction, like embarrassingly strong, and I woke up from the dream. I woke up and I told the guys, because we're about to get in the car, have a you know eight or nine hour drive. I said, guys, I had this dream last night. I think it's going to happen. I said, this trip? I said, I can't say that I know, but I, I think the dream is going to happen this trip. They said, do you think you're going to meet like Mike for real? I was like, I think so. They said, the embarrassing introduction? I go, I, I think so. I think so. They go, okay, well, tell us. Let us know, you know? All right. It's the next day or the day after. And I'm going to meet with uh, Wes Martin, who at that point was uh, directing the One Thing uh, Regionals. And I'm, I'm meeting with, uh, with Wes out kind of, you know, uh, in, the, in the coffee bar area or coffee shop area. And he says, he says, hey, listen, there's so much going on over here. He says, let's, let's get out of all the noise. Follow me. I, I know a spot that we can kind of get away or whatever. I go, okay. And as we're walking, I'm going, oh, my gosh, it's totally about to happen right now. I go, we just left all the clamor. I was like, this is no way. And he walks me around to the kind of the back of the building, the side and the back of the building. It was an area that nobody was back. And there's this table outside the building under this overhang. And it's totally like within earshot of whatever else is going on out in the parking lot. But it's totally secluded. It's totally out of the way and yet still right there visible. And we sit down and I sit down at this table and I'm like, it is totally about to happen. Oh, my goodness. One second later, Mike Bickle walks out that little door right there in front of the table. And Wes goes, Mike, this is Brad, the guy I've been talking to you about. Mike goes, you're Dallas guy? And, and Wes goes, yeah, my Dallas guy. And he starts just ranting and raving about me right in front of Mike. And this is my introduction to Mike Bickle. I shake his hand. Hi, Mr. Mike, I'm Brad. And, it, and he's like, man, so good to hear. Heard a lot of good things. You know, we're excited, da, da, da. And I just got, like, the most embarrassing introduction to Mike Bickle. And that was my first, like, official introduction. And it happened because, I mean, because or in tandem, whatever the right way to say that is, with a dream I had that was exactly this thing. And so I'm like, you're going to make everything happen that we've been believing and dreaming. I don't, even, I don't even know. I mean, meeting Mike at a table doesn't mean you're friends. Okay, but I'm like, somehow, all right, so I'm come back, and you know, we're doing life, and whatever, and, and uh, it's some little bit of time later, and, oh no, actually, I guess this must have happened, uh, yeah, a little bit before that, um, I'm talking to uh, my pastor, Adam McCain, and I was talking to him about, you know, some of the stuff we were working on and stuff, and I said, I said, yeah, man, I go, uh, I'd really love to be able to get um, connected with this guy named Billy in Atlanta. And Adam goes, Billy Humphrey? And I go, yeah. He goes, what, what, what about him? I go, well, he started like what's kind of like the most successful house of prayer anywhere outside of Kansas City. And that's really important to me because I'd love to be able to pick his brain about an expression of the prayer, of a house of prayer that's not built in Kansas City like how, you know, like us, like an expression outside of Kansas City that has to figure it out on their own, in their own city, with their own money, and their own this, their own that. He goes, oh, Billy's like one of my best friends. He's what? He goes, oh, yeah, we grew up in ministry together. I'll call him right now. I go, what? 
He goes, he goes, yeah. I said, well, we're actually going to be in Atlanta for something in just a couple weeks. He said, I'll totally set this up. He said, it's done. He said, he owes me a favor. I go, okay. So, so now, uh, Billy, you know, email me or whatever. He's like, sure, love to meet, no problem. So now I'm driving it to IHOP Atlanta. Well, we, we had some other business in, it, in the Atlanta area. And uh, I'm driving to IHOP Atlanta with a friend. And we go, and it's the week. I mean, it's days before they move into their building. So now I'm here at IHOP Atlanta's very important moment and season. It's right before, they're paint. Billy's painting, Okay. And our meeting is an hour or two hours long meeting with Billy painting, and he wouldn't let me paint because when, I, when he asked me, hey, are you, are you a good painter? I said, oh, I can get by. He said, no way, you're fired. He said, I, I want this to look awesome. I said, so no helping. He said, yeah, no, you can't help. He said, but I'll, we can still talk. So for the next two hours or whatever, Billy's painting, and I'm talking his ear off, and we're connecting. Well, this wound up becoming a very fruitful relationship because there's probably nobody, if there's anybody, it's a very short list, who has Mike's ear and favor, like Billy Humphrey in Atlanta. And now here, I've got Billy's favor because my pastor and him grew up in ministry together. You just can't make this stuff up. So Billy winds up connecting me, not just, I got the handshake with Mike previous, Billy winds up connecting me in a meeting that he winds up having me lead at the Atlanta House of Prayer a year or so later. So it's a couple years later, uh, there's a group of people. I said, hey, uh, Billy, I know uh, Mike's going to be in town for this thing. Um, what do you think? Is there a way we can maybe get some leaders together? He said, yeah, totally. Well, I don't know that he's told Mike. Hey, Mike, remember the Brad guy? Well, he's going to lead a meeting uh, that it'd be good for, for you to be at. So I walk into this meeting, and Mike goes, all right, Brad. Well, it's your meeting. What are we doing? And I went, huh? What do you mean, what am I doing? He, he goes, well, yeah, you know, it's your meeting. You called the meeting. So what, what are we doing? And he just looks at me with this big smile, this big goofy grin. And I'm like, all right, well, I, I guess let's introduce ourselves. So I wind up leading this meeting. So Mike is watching me. He put me in the hot spot on purpose. And he's watching me respond to this, which I don't, don't know how I did. But okay, well, that wound up a step later, we wrote a house of prayer handbook, how to build the house of prayer handbook. And the objective of that handbook was to try to help other houses of prayer that are going to begin the journey or are already a step or two into the journey on building the house of prayer. I just wanted to share a bunch of my bad ideas. Like, don't do this. It's terrible. It doesn't work. Try this, but do it better. I just wanted to write down a bunch of ideas so that other houses of prayer could at least look at some new ideas that they probably haven't tried yet and start to experiment because that was something I wish I would have had and I never had. Well, this connection that Mike or that Billy set up that day, Billy also said, hey, Mike, would you be willing to meet with Brad a little bit afterwards? And so I have this private meeting with Mike. And I, I said, well, hey, listen, I'm working on this handbook. He said, send it to me. He said, if I like it, I'll, I'll endorse it. So I sent him the House of Prayer handbook. He endorsed it. So we got the House of Prayer handbook out in the lobby. It's got Mike's endorsement on the front. It's like, how is this happening? This is just crazy. I had dreams that we were going to be connected to Mike Bickle, and here it's actually occurring. Well, you remember I told you that he was at that conference in 2000 where I got filled with the Spirit, where I, I you know, got in, I got the, the vision of the houses of prayer starting like flames all over the Metroplex, and then the two hands of the Lord coming together, and that that was really a, a call that I felt like was really for us, but I didn't realize that for later. Mike Bickle was at that conference. Now, I just, I just want to connect some dots here. This, this is the most significant moment for me since my salvation in that hour. I'm getting filled with the Spirit. I'm getting connected to all sorts of things that are going to wind up being very important for my life and ministry moving forward. And Mike Bickle's in the room. He's there. He's teaching that night. And here I am getting connected in ways I just didn't even realize in that night. Well, some time goes on. And uh, we wind up in a real, you know, connection, you know, uh, relationship with Mike, I'll get emails from him, group emails, you know, send out to five or 10 people. You know, it was really funny. They started this thing called Seabets uh, uh, in uh, Kansas City. And I remember getting the email where Mike sent it out to about 15 of us. He's like, hey, we're going to start this thing. I want to know what you guys want to call it. And he, he's like, do you want to call it this? You want to call it this? Why don't you give me some names? And, and so we're going back and forth in emails, trying to help Mike come up with a name for C-Bets, uh, which I, that was not my choice. I had something far simpler. Uh, but they like to have things be complicated and uh, clear. So uh, 
So anyway, those kinds of emails will go back and forth every now and then. I'll get, you know, an email from him. We built a little bit of a relationship. If I'll send him an email, he normally replies pretty quickly. I try to be very sparing in that because I want to be respectful. But I get an email sometime now. I'm skipping way forward here, but I'm kind of connecting some dots. I get an email at the end of 2019. So this is just a minute ago. Sometime at the end of 2019. It's an email from him and a guy named David Bradshaw, who's the director of Awaken the Dawn. That's a a big ministry uh, based out of Fredericksburg, um, outside of the D.C. area. And I get an email from these two guys, and and it's it's David kind of talking, you know, uh, for Mike. And Mike wrote a letter, you know, specifically saying, hey, I want to meet with a handful of the leaders in the prayer movement. I want to meet with a handful of you young leaders and... I just want to hang out for a couple of days in D.C. Would you fly in for this? Would you fly in? I just want to get to know you guys. I want to be able to connect a little bit. And so there's like 15 or 20 of us. And I see the names on the list. And I'm like, how did I get on this list? Like, man, somebody must have paid this ticket for me. It must have been a big price and didn't tell me. How in the world did I get on this list? We show up there. And we have a couple of days of meetings with Mike, which is so not his normal thing. Uh, meetings without a, an objective, like we're trying to plan this thing. It wasn't any of that. It was just connect. It was tell stories and talk and ask questions and hang out and get to know each other and eat. I mean, it's very not his normal flow. And remember how I told you that I'd been having dreams for years? Well, I had this dream in 2009. It was the first dream I had with Mike Bickle in it. And I want to read you just a little portion of this dream. So, uh, this was uh, October of 2009 I had this dream. Mike began, again, this was my first dream with Mike Bickle in it that I can remember, okay? And I've had 20, but this was the first one. Mike began to address the room, but a moment into it, he began to lose his composure, and he began to tear up, and he wasn't able to continue. Even in the dream, I noted that I'd never seen him like this before. He couldn't even speak. Now, I had that dream in 2009. 2009. 20, just because the the invitation at the end of 2019 was for a series of meetings in January of this year, okay? So this is just a couple months ago. We're sitting around this table with Mike, and he's he's talking to us, and he's being very candid. I mean, he is answering any question we have, questions he doesn't want to be asked, questions he doesn't want to be on the record for. I mean, and he's just, he's open with us. He's just talking. I mean, he is very much like trying to help and empower us, and At one point, he just pauses, and he starts to weep uncontrollably. He covers his his face, and it goes on for a couple of minutes. Now, a couple of minutes is is an eon. When you're in a room with 10, 15 leaders and a very respected papa in the faith, and he... I don't mean he'd talk, he'd weep, he'd talk. I mean weep, no getting back to talking for two minutes. This was like, it was one of the most sober moments in my life. He finally gets his composure back. And he says, says, the Lord showed me you guys in the 80s. Said the Lord showed me he was going to raise up a group of excellent spirit young leaders that we're going to take the prayer movement way further and beyond me. He said, I'm overwhelmed by seeing the fulfillment partial. He, he didn't make it sound like we were the only guys. He said, a partial fulfillment of what the Lord spoke to me back in the 80s. He said, I'm just overwhelmed right now. Oh, my gosh, now I'm overwhelmed. And then I get back and I find this dream. And I go, oh, my gosh. Dream in 2009. It's 2020. Here it is. And little did I know that the weeping would include me. I go, what is even happening? This is crazy. This is crazy. How are we getting connected to an this international leader? The Lord has profound purpose for the prayer room mission space. It's not about me. Who cares about me? I, I would have never gotten invited to Diddley Squad if it weren't for you, <laughs> if it weren't for this ministry, for the prayer room. 
and the purposes that the Lord has. Recent conversation with, uh, with Mike. Remember I told you that Tom Davis had that vision, the fire starting all over the place. And, and uh, well, I got a little bit of time with Mike uh, in, an, in an airport ride. And I'm, I've got a chance to kind of just talk. And I go, hey, can I uh, do a little throwback with you? He said, yeah. I said, do you remember this Ambrose conference in 2000, you know, with Tom Davis? It was at such and such church. He goes, oh, yeah, I remember. He said, I, he said that was a great conference. I said, it was a great conference. He said, were you there? I said, I was there. I said, do you remember Tom Davis sharing that vision of the houses of prayer starting the fires all over the Metroplex? He goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, did he ever do anything with that? And Mike goes, no, I don't, I don't think he did. I said, yeah, he didn't. I went and I tracked him down. And I, I asked him about it. And, and I go, I, I was talking to him. I go, I go, Mike, I, I kind of think, like, that was for us. He goes, it was absolutely for you. He, and then he started getting all snarky. He goes, you mean to tell me that you made all of us sit there that night through that whole thing just so that God could speak to you and give you your calling? Sounds about right. Yep. That's your calling. Sounds right. So here's Mike now confirming. That night, that call, I just, I'm like, Lord, how does this even happen? Now, the reason I'm sharing this part with you is because it's impossible for a group of ragtag people in a living room to have clarity about how these things are going to go. You can't make this stuff happen, and we did nothing to manipulate it. We did nothing to try to be in the right place in the right time. I would intentionally leave. If it was like, oh, this is a moment I could wind up, you know, finding myself walking down the same aisle as Mike, I would go sit on the other side of the room. I mean, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't try to make anything happen. And the Lord just did it. It's impossible that we would be connected to this leader of a global prayer movement. But here's part of the reasoning. Because just as Mike said, we're one of many who are taking the torch in this next generation. They're going to march the prayer movement forward into its fullness, into its purposes. IHOP Kansas City was never about fullness. IHOP Kansas City was always about start the fire. And then be the spearhead, be the papa, be the home base. But it, home base can never be the movement. Home base can only be a base. It can only be, can only be the connection point. You can have spokes on a wheel. It can be the center point, but it can't be the whole movement. It, it would be a pathetic movement if it was the whole movement. It was never supposed to be. And so here we are. Well, part of the reason I'm sharing this is we've got some fulfilled prophetic words that should inspire us to believe unfulfilled prophetic words. We've got quite a few, quite a few that we're still waiting on. Now, I want to give you some alignment of IHOP Kansas City's calling and our calling because there's just some fun little ways that the Lord wove some uh, nuances into the storyline here. Well, again, when we started the prayer meetings in the living room, yes, I had been to IHOP Kansas City a number of times. I had never once thought, wow, this is cool, I'll go do one. Never had that thought cross my mind. I always went, this is a great place to visit. I'm so glad I get to come to a fiery environment and then go home. Okay? The foundations of the movement. My first few years in Christ, and this is a little bit interesting. It's a little different. And I, I want to say this because it, it won't be this way for you unless you're going to also start a, a thing that's going to wind up uh, you know, going a, a good distance. My first few years in Christ, it was mostly about the prayer room, and I didn't realize that. It was not mostly about me. It was mostly about the movement that was going to come out of this. It was mostly about the DNA that the Lord wanted written into TPR. Now, I'm having these encounters, and I'm talking to my friends, and my friends are not having these encounters. And I just thought I was cool. I didn't realize it had nothing to do with Brad Stroop. It had everything to do with the prayer room missions base and the calling on this house and where we're going together as a corporate community. I'll give you some examples. I get saved in 99. I've never heard of IHOP Kansas City. I am filled with the revelation I am going to be part of like a really, really big, like, I don't know that I would have said global, but I knew that it was international at least, healing revival. I just knew it. I didn't know anybody else that thought that way. I didn't know anybody else that even believed in healing. And I'm like, I am positive I'm going to be part of a healing revival. So I'm going and getting every book I can. I'm reading every healing revival book I can find. And I'm just positive. Like, I'm going to be connected to a healing revival somehow or the other. Well, I had no idea, and I find out later, that IHOP Kansas City 
a significant, it's not the only thing, but a significant part of what they are believing God for and what the Lord has spoken to them about is that there's going to be a healing revival in the context of the prayer ministry. A healing revival that's going to look very different than the past ones. Instead of it being the one powerful preacher, it's going to be an anointing that rests on the room, that rests on the house of prayer, that rests on the community, that rests on the presence of God in the prayer meetings. And that that's going to wind up bringing great revelation, uh, great healing. I had no idea. But here I'm finding, as we're, as we're getting to know IHOP Kansas City more and more, oh my gosh, I believe that. Oh my gosh, the Lord spoke that to me in 99, in 2000. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Next. Promises about the end of the age. I remember having the most bizarre conversation with a friend in 2000. I've been saved a little over a year at this point. I'm going on a walk with one of my friends. It's a dear friend. Going to walk with him. And I'm trying to find words to describe to him the following concept. And I, I'm sure I botched it. And if we recorded that conversation, I probably would be embarrassed about some of the stuff I said. But I know what I was trying to convey. And that is, I felt like somehow my future, and I didn't know if it was me or the church. I didn't know. I, it was so much. I was so young in the Lord. I had very little discernment. But I just felt strong. Somehow, whatever I'm connected to is going to oppose the Antichrist. I just, I don't even know. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know. It's like, I read about the two witnesses. Like, well, they're going to oppose the Antichrist. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe we'll like be part of that or something. I don't know. Like, maybe they will be. I didn't know. I couldn't put to words what I thought. I didn't think I was a, one of the witnesses or anything. But, but I couldn't exactly connect the dots. I just knew in the future I'm going to be connected somehow to like opposing that man. That's a really weird thought. It's a really weird thought. And then I never really put any more investment into it because it kind of freaked me out a little bit. So then I find out from IHOP Kansas City that the prayer movement is going to be standing right there with those two witnesses opposing the Antichrist. It's going to be actually releasing the judgments of God on the Antichrist kingdom. That this is all going to be coming out of the prayer rooms I find this out, and I'm blown away. My mind is just blown away. I want to give you a, uh, we'll put up the slide in just a second. We go to Kansas City, and um, we connect up there, you know, one of our trips or whatever, and decide we're going to try to dip our toe in the end times water. Like, well, let's get something end timesy up there or whatever. And so we bought this thing called the Omega Course, and it was Kansas City's first, like, major, well-put-together uh, you know, resource on the end times, and it was uh, either eight or 10 or 12 weeks, forget how many, um, DVDs, and this is how we started our encounter services. We started doing the Omega course in the living room. You guys are nodding because you came, didn't you? Yeah, you did. And so, uh, I love that. And so, we started the Omega course, and, and here we are tripping forward trying to figure out eschatology and find our way, and it was so foundational. And I'm looking at it, I'm going, man, I, I was made for this. I was, this isn't like, a thing I'm going to give some attention to, this is like my life call. And in all honesty, I feel more called to be a messenger of the end times than I do to be an intercessor. I mean, I'm an intercessor, but I feel way more called to be a messenger than I do an intercessor. And a messenger of this message, Jesus is coming back to the planet. People get ready. And so I'm just blown away by that. Well, another one, the promise is about the greatest commandment. <laughs> We, we get connected with IHOP Kansas City, and we find out they're all about, you know, a, a love relationship with God and all about the greatest commandment. I kept hearing, greatest commandment, greatest commandment. I'm like, I don't even know what the greatest commandment is. Like, what is that? And they're like, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart. So my strength. I was like, that's not the greatest commandment. That's Deuteronomy 6. And they go, what do you mean? And I'm like, I mean, this is a fictitious conversation, of course, but it's like people, people are like, why? You know, no, it's the greatest commandment. It's Matthew 22. God, Jesus said, I was like, well, I'll be darned. And, and, and they're like, well, what do you mean? I go, Deuteronomy 6 has been like my life verse since I gave my life to Jesus. Like, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I mean, I'm like, like that passage was like all up in me. <laughs> I didn't know greatest commandment. I knew Deuteronomy 6, and it was burning in me for years. Now, I'm not going to let you read it, but I did find, I went back and looked. This is a song I wrote in 2000. And it's a song called The Will to Praise, in parentheses, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. And it was all about my commitment to the Lord to live out a Deuteronomy 6 lifestyle 
And, and I, I wrote that song in 2000 because it was something that was like, this wasn't a fringe message to me. This was something burning in me. Then I get to IHOP and find out, oh, this is the IHOP message. Like it was already in me. I was like, oh, I totally love this. I can get, okay, we'll call it greatest commandment. We can call it that instead of Deuteronomy 6. That's fine. I was just calling it the Shema because that's what it was. Shema Israel. So I was like, whatever, I'll call it greatest commandment now. That's fine. It'll make more sense to people. And so I just, I loved that. I was like, man, this thing is already written on my heart. All right, moving forward. Promises about the change of the expression of Christianity. When I came to know the Lord, I was burning in my heart with a dissatisfaction for the expression of Christianity in, in, a, in a great way. I was burning with dissatisfaction. We go to church. We go once a week. We live how we want. And then we go to church once a week. That makes me want to throw up. And I felt burning in me at 18, 19, 20, this spirit of the reformer, like a reformation. Like, I just, I always knew the Lord was eventually going to give me leadership. And I didn't know what that was going to look like. I wasn't going to try to make it happen. But one thing I promised the Lord, when I'm in charge, we're going to do things a little bit more first greatest commandment. <laughs> when I'm in charge, we're going to go for it. Whatever it is that the Lord gives me, like, we're not going to do this go to church once a week thing. We are going to try to run after Jesus and build the kingdom of God. Like, we are going to go for it. Well, I, I wind up getting connected with IOP Kansas City and find out, oh my gosh, there's this expression that's going to shift in the whole earth in a single generation. And the Lord is going to wind up connecting the people of God all across the earth in prayer. All right, well, I want to now go to our connection to IHOPU because that changed everything for us in, uh, well, not everything. It changed a great many of things in our midst, gave us some significant resources and access that we never had before. And just to make a point, being connected to IHOP Kansas City and being connected to IHOPU are completely different things. One does not equal the other, okay? In fact, I found it a lot harder to get connected to IHOPU than I did to get it connected to IHOP Kansas City. In fact, it might be easier to connect to Mike than it is to connect to IHOPU, okay? I mean, it's, like, it's a lot of work, all right? All right, so... The uniqueness of IHOPU, here's the reason I say it this way. If we're talking about this global prayer movement, the reestablishing of the tabernacle of David in the earth, and IHOP Kansas City being a point, if not the point of the spear, they have a training mechanism in their midst. It's called the International House of Prayer University. And the objective of this university is to train up leaders that are going to go build the prayer movement in the earth. They're going to go strengthen the prayer movement in the cities of our nation and in the cities of the earth. And that's the objective of IHOPU. It's not to just give 20-year-olds a cool experience for a year or two or four. It's to try to raise up leaders that are going to go build the prayer movement to go do the tabernacle of David established across the planet. My house will be called a house of prayer thing. That's the purpose, okay, at its very root. Now, there's nothing like that ministry that I'm aware of anywhere in the earth that's got that level of commitment to raising up forerunners in the context of night and day prayer. So that's our calling. We're supposed to do that. So you better believe we want, if the Lord would give us the grace, we very much want to be connected to the premier ministry that's doing it so we can learn from, connect with. We very much want that partnership, but that partnership does not come easy. Well, it came for us through Murray and Deborah Hebert, who were some leaders at IHOP Kansas City. We met them and had just a great connection and and then they wound up becoming the biggest cheerleaders for us and helping us and opening doors after doors after doors for us. Opening the concept of us being able to get their students come down here for short-term trips, for spring ministry trips. We, as a result of all that, we wound up starting to have their worship teams come down and take care of our base while our, leadership, or while our staff goes out of town every year for six years in a row. They're a team of FMA students comes down and runs the base while we take the whole staff out of town and go have fun for a weekend. And they've done that six times for us. We just so many connections. We've had a dozen preview weekends with dozens of students. We've had probably a couple of hundred students come on the spring ministry trips over the course of the last, you know, eight or however many years. Um, we've had students and alumni and faculty pass through here all the time. There's people coming next weekend. There are people come all the time. We have become a real connection point to IHOPU. Well, how, why is that a good thing? Man, externs have changed our world. You know, many of our current missionary staff are past externs here that served as a season of their IHOPU ministry uh, training 
they served away from IHOP. They served here for a season of time and then wound up becoming just so helpful. And, and we're in the process of deepening that partnership, trying to figure out ways with IHOP Kansas or IHOP U to deepen that partnership. Well, all of this, my, my message tonight, the focus tonight was to go beyond the local expression and go to the national or to the, to the global one. You guys remember the dream, or not the dream, the prophetic word that I gave you. It was one of the first sessions. I said, this guy walks into our prayer meeting and he starts to prophesy because we went a second hour in the worship and we never did that. Well, what he said that night, this was in 2007. So we're still in the living room. We're about two years in. We are young. We don't know what we're doing. We don't know where we're going. He said, I see little flames popping up all over the city. You're starting these fires. They're houses of prayer. You'll start them here, and then from here, you'll start fires all over the place. I see them on the East Coast and overseas. You're going to get the vision out. We're being told we're going to be used of the Lord to plant houses of prayer in the nations. That's if you just want to get down to the most specific point here. We're going to have international connections, international connections, the six of us look around in the room going, is he talking to you? Like, there's six of us, all right? There's, we're nobodies. We have nothing. And we're being prophesied, and it registered. Lord, I don't just want that to be true. I, like, I know that's you. You're telling us we're going to start prayer rooms. We're going to be connected globally. Globally? There's six of us in a living room. This was the most unfathomable, unbelievable reality. I had a dream in 2012, and the interesting part about the dream was, I won't read it, but the interesting part of the, about the dream, <clears throat> we were leading a national network of houses of prayer, which we lead a national network of houses of prayer now. It's called the National Missions Based Co-op. But in this dream, we were leading a national network, and it caught the attention, this is 2012, it caught the attention of Donald Trump. Now, in 2012, Donald Trump was not into politics. He was into billionaireing, okay? <clears throat> I have this dream where this national network of houses of prayer is going to catch the attention of Donald Trump somehow, and that Donald Trump is going to like want to get connected to this network of houses of prayer for some reason that doesn't make sense to me in the dream. And so I'm just, I, I watch him become the president of the United States, and I just, my jaw drops. The heck? I go, because a billionaire probably doesn't care about prayer for the nation, but a president does. And I just, man, he hasn't called me yet, but I'm waiting for the phone call. Um, over the course of, uh, of time, we have gone on countless consulting trips, helping houses of prayer, even in the nations. We've helped build the house of prayer in Germany, physically go to Germany, physically go to Mexico, physically go to Kenya. We've got relationships from previous externs that were trained here, that they spent a season here, and they planted and helped build the House of Prayer in Hong Kong. We've conducted webinars with leaders of Houses of Prayer in 15 different countries. We've taught on House of Prayer leadership at uh, 111 Global's House of Prayer Planting School, and then those leaders are then going to go out all over the nations. I mean, it's crazy to see the influence, even if it's just this big, in the nations, We've been able to see the Lord start all sorts of expressions of houses of prayer. We right now, this one blows my mind, and I'll end with this. So worship team, if you want to come on up. This one blows my mind. In 2005, the Lord says, you're going you're gonna to be connected. This is going to be a, a global thing. In 2007, he says, you're going to start planting houses of prayer all over the nations. Right now, we have connections. I mean, pick up the phone and call connections in Brazil, Germany, China, Thailand, Belize, Mexico, Kenya, Jordan, Iraq, Israel. Through the National Missions Base Co-op, we've got a phone call, one, of, one phone call away, and then the phone call we would make could then get us connected with dozens of more nations that they've got relationships with. That they would, we could go on a mission trip. We could go there. We could connect. We're hearing reports. Same thing with 111 Global. Dozens of nations. We now actually have global connections. This thing that started in a living room. This is not normal. This is so weird. 
this is so bizarre and it's exactly what the Lord said would happen and I want to tell you we're only at the beginning of where this is going the reason I want you to know this part of our storyline is because God told us this stuff in 2005 and 6 and 7 and 8 but here we are now connected to a global movement that didn't exist when we started the prayer room there wasn't a global movement and here we are now connected. We've got friends. I mean, when I named off those guys in Iraq and Jordan and Israel, they've all been to this base. The directors. I've all sat with them upstairs and talked. They've all been here. I've been to Kenya. I've been to Mexico. I mean, it's crazy what the Lord has done because he's reestablishing the house of prayer in the earth. He's raising up the tabernacle of David. I want us to understand the story is so much bigger than what's happening here at the prayer room. And it's so much bigger than, than even what we're doing in this room. We have an opportunity and a mandate from the Lord to help build the house of prayer in the earth. And we're going to. So I want you to kind of buckle up because as we grow, we're going to be using some of that money and influence and people and resources and leaders to go plant houses of prayer wherever the Lord would lead. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.